0: what you'll hear on patreon i'm not i'm probably wrong about this was just that it's interesting that the higher up you go in the attempt to be kind of high culture the more you start to culture jam the more you start to subvert genres and subvert expectations so it's like you're not going to get the comfortable narrative here you're going to get chaos and it reminds me a little bit it reminds me a little bit of culture of culture jamming where it's like You know, I was talking to somebody recently and I was like, why do they demand like some of these crazy things that are happening in the culture wars? Like, why do people consciously demand things that are so weird and couldn't possibly work? And my friend said, it's culture jamming. That's what they're doing.
1: I'm a novelist. I'm the author of Twice, a novel. And I'm writing a book of fatal dating tips for um, the Sublation Media channel. And I've been the host of Fatal Dates. Uh, which is a podcast about finding real connection in an unreal world on sublation.
2: And uh, I'm Douglas Lane, and I usually introduce myself by telling people that I'm the publisher of Susanna Kleiman, Um, That usually goes over really big with people, and they say, you mean the novel twice? And I say, yes, exactly, I published the novel twice. And then I might also mention that I'm also a novelist, and um, I'm now the head of Sublation Media, I run a YouTube channel uh, for Sublation Media, which it, this is going to be on uh, at least part of it. And um, and uh, let's see what else. I'm I'm a contrarian. I I am a Twitter warrior. I am a casualty of Elon Musk. Um, these are the things that I tell people. At least that's what I'm saying now.
0: And what you'll be telling your grandchildren in in the years yeah. the, the years to come, yeah. saying, "Yes, I was a casualty
1: of the Twitter wars." Sit down, that's with my children. Right. I I, I should tell, tell you about Noble hand. badge. And Noble Burge. Anyway, now I heard they're going to charge everybody to use Twitter. So that's the end. Not
2: thing. me, because I'm kicked off. They can't even take my money. Do you try to break this glass, please? <laughs> yeah. Sure? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Well... Maybe that was a little too hard.
0: The idea for today's show came from Doug and I discussing why it is that I cannot watch horror movies or scary movies, whatever you want to call them, or slasher films. And yet I can watch in great detail um, true crime and, and sort of look at the blood, real blood of real human being splattered on the walls. Uh, and I have no problem with that. And my husband thinks that I'm insane.
1: Oh my
2: god Oh my god oh my god
0: Her arms were cut off Her legs were cut off her ears were cut off Her tongue was cut off her nose was cut off her eyeballs were plucked out And I wondered, am I
1: diagnosable? What do you think? Well I'm just writing some notes here to tell myself what that that's so interesting what you just said. Sorry, I'm just leaping in it. The most I'd written some other notes in thinking about the topic of all of this before, but as soon as you said that, I thought, no, of course, it's, a totally, it's totally obvious why that should be. Because horror is disorder, and it's about being out of control. Um, and true crime is the opposite of that. It's about being the detective. It's having the analytical tools to solve what's happened and to work it out. So you you just saying that makes me feel that the horror films, which I've got to say, I, I don't have such a problem watching horror films. I don't find them that scary, I should say. Um, and true crime, I, I am more gripped by. But So we wouldn't want to be saying, of course, that all women are like this. But it does seem to me that horror to watch a horror film is to immerse yourself in an experience of losing control and being at the mercy of the film itself. Because it's fiction also. As opposed to um, true crime where you get to be the analytical Marxist detective who provides solutions and can tie everything up. That would just be me as an untrained psychologist, what I might say.
2: Um, I too like, uh, well, I like detective stories and I especially like uh, television serials where there is a a detective at the center and watching the detective and identifying with the detective as they uh, solve crimes. Um, I went through a period where I was just, I got the um, BBC app or the, uh, Rip box it's called if you're mm-hmm. in the United States where you can watch old British television programs and i just went through a series of watching one detective series after another uh sometimes i would wear out if the detective was too stoic too despondent too too much of a sad sack um but there was one with Peter davidson which i quite liked you know the old uh, doctor who the the fifth sixth doctor something like that and um uh overall i i i like to identify with a detective who's um doesn't seem too clever but is clever and and can solve crimes but i am not that compelled by the the crimes don't have to be grisly um there was one um about a, it was always a, a locked room mystery each time and uh the a magician's assistant was the detective. Mm-hmm. And uh, I quite enjoyed that. So I can identify with the uh, love of of true crime if what we're talking about is detective stories. But it seems to me that the women who I've talked to who talk about enjoying true crime are, are as fascinated by the grisly figure of the criminal as they are by the detective.
1: The criminal is not always a man. Are they, done? Sometimes the criminals are women, right? I guess.
2: I but don't know. We're not in the true crime In real life, certainly, yeah, but more often men in real life. And my understanding is that the serial killer is typically a man in one of these programs. And
1: Well, you say that, but, but uh, Ashley will know there's been an amazing story gripping Britain, the story of nurse Lucy Letby. Um, a different, perhaps, sort of serial killer to the one that you were thinking about. She was a nurse, and she was a nurse in um, the, the, the part of the hospital that very premature, very ill, very, very tiny babies were. And she appears to have, have she's just been convicted for murdering a lot of... Oh, yeah.
2: Most serial killers, of the number one profession for serial killers happens to be nurses, I believe. Hello, Lucy, is it? Yeah, Hello, it
0: uh, please, please. Please in, uh, yes. Lucy Letby, a nurse in the UK, will spend the rest of her life in prison for murdering seven babies and trying to kill six others. Driven to kill British serial killers and their occupations. The Howard Journal of Crime and Justice, Lines and Wilson, 2015. It was determined that there are four particular occupational groups that known British serial murderers selected, and these are described as healthcare business, public and personal service, and driving and transient dependent work. It is this latter occupational grouping that was the most commonly selected form of employment. Brave Clarice, Healthcare, Serial Killers, Patterns, Motives and Solutions, Forensic Science, Medicine and Pathology, Mensawi Mensawi, 2022. There are two main defining psychological characteristics of a serial killer which are compartmentalization and dehumanization. To neutralize feelings of guilt, serial killers compartmentalize. This allows them to develop two distinct social circles. One, a close circle of friends or family whom they care about and typically do not harm. And two, a victim group, strangers to whom they have no remorse. A modern example includes Nazi doctors who used doubling to create two distinct selves one that engaged in experimentation and extermination of inmates, and another that maintained their life outside of concentration camps. Physicians are suggested to be more susceptible to doubling than any other profession. The medical profession requires one to act objectively and mundanely in the presence of blood, trauma, and corpses. This allows for desensitization to death, and an ability to maintain highly skillful cognitive function under circumstances that may otherwise be deemed abhorrent or reprehensible in the eyes of laypeople. The physician therefore develops a medical self. In the case of prolific medical serial killer Dr. Michael Swango, who killed up to 60 patients under his care, he described in his diary how the sweet, husky, close smell of indoor homicide served as a reminder that he was still alive. <laughs>
1: Really?
2: And my ex was a nurse. So I think that explains everything. But
1: uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. yes, but as I've said to you before, Doug, I seem to have noticed you can cut all of this bit out. Uh, no, no, we don't have to cut this. I a, well, what, what I was, was going to say is it's not on I my noticed, channel. <laughs> I noticed that your ex was a nurse and, and and other people that you've gone out with have been therapists. It seems to me that you enjoy surrounding yourselves with the caring professions. But we're, we're going off the topic here. So well, going I,
2: to I'm going you know, to... my. my Girlfriend now is a psychoanalyst, and I would say that psychoanalysis is unique in, as as a form of therapy because it has nothing whatsoever to do with making you feel better. So there, there's
0: <laughs> the opposite of care in a lot of
2: ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, I want to take you like, apart.
1: Well, you know, what that's, I that's... to talk about the difference between horror films and and true crime. It does, you know. I, I've I've appeared. Been allowed to appear on the Sublation channel. I I have been so impressed with both of you. You're very analytical thinkers, very clear thinkers, people who are very idealistic also, and and know that there are solutions to things. Therefore, you know the joy is to be in something where there is a solution. It would seem to me, perhaps, perhaps I'm being rude for people of a very dialectical, material, Marxist-trained mindset. There's a solution. You've just got to work hard enough to to get to it. As opposed to the realms of. Korean horror films, where all sorts of evil sprites might come in and do all sorts of terrible things, and it might all end up badly in the end. Yeah,
0: if because, there's no resolution, I'm not watching. Like, because well, I know that the, if, that there's no solution at the end. I don't watch.
1: Well, I have to. I, yeah, from, I need
0: it all tied up in a neat little bow. Yeah,
1: yeah, oh, yeah. No, and 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 I I know from going on our fatal date. Ashley, I know that um, the drive is to resolve things, not just for yourself, for other people. There's a tremendous. That that's that it seems to me is a lot about what drives you. So the idea of absolute chaos, destruction, horror, everybody dead in the log cabin at the end. That doesn't seem a very on-brand Ashley Brawley's kind of story. I can see that.
0: No, no. I suppose the, the line between chaos and everything being controlled for me is the the most terrifying thing, you know, that I, I feel like for my, my husband can watch these sorts of things, uh, horror movies and so on, because for him, there's no reality, ironically, so there's no reality to it, right? But for me, that seems real. Like, it's going to really, really happen. Like, I could fall into this chaos and I feel this terror falling into this chaos. So I don't like it.
1: you already, haven't you already fallen into chaos? Isn't that what life is? I mean, it, as somebody trained and very empirical and very impressive background, as the pair of you have wrangled your minds through, I think I, 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 chaos is less frightening to me. I, I'm very aware that all I am is, in chaos all all the time and that's okay. Is that not what your experience of life is?
0: No, I mean like my young experience of life is very chaotic. And so I am always living in, it was actually quite nice. My early childhood was really, really nice. And then it fell into chaos. And I always fear that it will fall into chaos again. So this idea of like an uncontrolled world where just anything can happen is so terrifying to me. It's so real to me. It's such a real terror. I cannot just let go. Whereas I can watch the aftermath of that when all the horror is gone and then we have the controlled uh, an, 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 uh, analysis that comes afterward where we see, okay, it's all over now, we can piece it together, we're going to mm-hmm. resolve the situation, mm-hmm. but, but, but everything but is clean. And but that's just an illusion, isn't
1: it? That's the illusion, the joy of data, that there is a finite amount of information we will get there, whereas in fact there's an infinite amount of, of information and and. Controlled by data and perhaps even controlled by by uh, uh, analyzing the situation is just never actually going to resolve anything, even though we like. To
0: no, 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 no. You <laughs> <laughs> enough information and enough heads together, we will eventually find solutions. I love that. It's so you hopeful. Know,
2: I don't remember who said this. Maybe it was Christopher Lash, but uh, I may be misattributing it. But um, there was a social critic who noticed that. Um, the Before the middle to the to late 20th century, the aim of the left, maybe, and of society overall was to uh, create systems of protection and control and to make order in the world. But after World War II and beyond, during the period of the consumer society and the administrative state, um, there was a turn away, especially amongst the middle classes and the upper middle classes from order and, and systemization and a longing after chaos because it was the one thing they didn't have um, because they lived in such an administrative um, controlled world. So I think that it, um, it might speak to uh, your level of uh, feeling restricted went to the d- degree to which you uh, long for the chaos of horror or some cathartic break into uh I, I don't mystery. I don't
1: long for the the chaos of horror you know I feel I am living in chaos I feel I've only ever lived in chaos and that's not because I've had you know touch wood I've been lucky I've not had particularly chaotic situ- but you know it seems to me that that life is uncontrollable and um anything can happen at any moment and and it is unreasonable and there's a there's a certain amount that that logic is not going to is logic is just a solace It's a nice solace and it's a good one. Anyway, that's that's what
2: I think that I tend to think that when you long at when you when you say something like, well, everything is chaos, you know, make that your substance in your life like that. The truth is chaos. Um, That's because, you know, the truth is the level below appearance. and, And when you're saying the truth is chaos, it's probably because you have a very ordered life. And so the real truth underneath it all the, the is this chaos, which you can long for, that's more authentic. And then, whereas if you're living in true chaos and you're actually experiencing it, then you, then you might fantasize, oh, underneath it all, there's an order. God has a plan for me. Everything's oh, yes. okay.
0: <laughs> yes, this, this is it. I long for order. I long for, I don't get it. I, I want to do the same thing every day. I want. To I
1: want to do the same thing every day. I I, I, I know that that's <laughs> the I know that's the way to live, and I also want to get up really early while doing it. I know that well. That's the way.
0: Yeah. So so I, I long for that, and I and I, I can see this in the way that I understand reality. That underneath this all of this apparent chaos, there is an order and a structure that I can understand, and if I can understand it, I can control it. Mm-hmm an illusion and that's that's well, I think that's that, that's marxism right that if we cannot this is why i love marx right he says that if we can understand it you know we can make history in the full light of reason we can um by understanding the world that's the only way forward is to understand and therefore control and this will free us from the chaos of production the current sort of chaos of of um what do you, what's the word anarchy of production, right? That's yeah, there but, is a way. But let's order. not
2: let us not retreat into Marxism so early in the conversation. I'm I'm taking over like it's all this patriarchal. Energy. But you're the guy. And,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> hibristophilia. I want to talk about Hibri- hibristophilia. It's a paraphilia involving sexual interest and the attraction to those who commit crimes. <laughs>
1: Joining us now to explain relationships like this, psychologist Dr. David Holmes, very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Why would a woman on the outside want to have a relationship with a man like this? There's something called hybristophilia. It's a paraphilia. All right, this is already and it's, confusing. It's not really a disorder, it's more of a condition. It's a kind of thing where, um, in evolutionary terms, females are often, not always, but often, attracted to fairly brutal caveman-like characters. Well, you know about that. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it just is a trait. It's because it was adapted. It's one thing to be attracted to a man who is strong and will defend you, but this is a man who yes. is, you know, has a history of but violence Yes, but it is him. the same kind of identity.
2: Charles Manson was, was 80 years old in prison on death row Got love letters from 26-year-old Afton Elaine Burton, and then they married. She came to him, and they married in prison. Um, a uh, lovely picture of him here with his bride, the little swastika on his forehead. Um, and so I wonder: <laughs> Is there? Can, am I am I completely off base in saying that one of the reasons why the serial killer true crime genre is appealing to women is because of hybristophilia? <laughs>
1: Rampant, rampant himbistrophilia in the female population.
2: Is <laughs> yes, that, is that's that
0: right. your,
1: that That's my
2: theory. They
1: like but the, the really why bad
2: boys. Is... The really, really bad boys.
0: Well, I think that the reason why it deserves a name and uh, a discussion is because I assume it is so rare. It is not a common thing. Where, like a good percentage of the population of women are like, do you know what I really want? I want a serial killer. <laughs> I don't think so. So I, I think it's, it's probably misguided to find some deep female essence in a weird love of uh, serial killers. Um, but, of course, there is a, 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 far, less, um, a far less obvious um, or, or oh, sorry, a far more common way that this manifests, and that is the love of the rule breaker, um, mm. the, the bad boy, all of that sort of thing. And uh, uh, which uh, incels love to wax lyrical on, um, and I don't know, um, Susanna, if you think that that's particularly common or just a stereotype and a cliche. Well, I
1: I, well, I totally agree with you. I really don't think, no matter what Doug's wild imaginings are, that, that basically secretly the female population of the world is just swooning over pictures of Charles Manson and and, and wanting nothing nothing better than their own personal bad boy in there. But I think I think. Some women are interested in it, and one could extrapolate and start making arguments that could tend to be talking in general about uh, female uh, heterosexual behavior, which I, t- I sense is, is is what what Doug wants um, wants to hear discussed. I tell you what, I tell you what I think about it. I think first of all, some people are just fame whores, and Charles Manson is famous, and and, and you know, I, I would I would as basically as that, I would start. The other thing I would say is there's something. To some women, to a very few women perhaps, but there's something very attractive about men in prison, which is you know where they are, right? They are bad. They're
2: not cheating on you. They're in prison. They're not,
1: they're not cheating on you. That basically, there's an identification with the woman, the, the kind of very controlling desire the woman Uh-oh. has. What is very attractive is you know where they are. They're in prison. The women, to some extent, have become elided with the, with the prison state, with, with the warders. They're, they're doing the same bidding. You know where they are. They're bad boys, but you know exactly where they are at all times. And you also know that they're really bored and and are desperate for for a, a bit of attention. And I would say, therefore, what those men really are is virtual. They're kind of virtual fantasy figures. They don't exist. They're not in the world. You can't bump into them. You can't worry they're having a, a drink with their ex or, or or anything like that. They exist not in a real place, prison. You can write to them. You have to communicate with them through virtual means, not direct means. And also, they're incredibly desperate. And so that, for a certain, perhaps, kind of person, woman, whoever, who might be feeling, I don't think it's something intrinsically to do with women, but women who are sitting at home who might be feeling a bit bored, keen to have a fantasy relationship.
2: This is the 26-year-old woman who's getting ready to marry 80-year-old Charles Manson. Her legal name is Afton Burton, but Manson has named her star. Are you in love? Yeah. Did you why
0: would I marry somebody if I was
2: <laughs> Well, I'm just asking. Okay. You know, people get married for all kinds of different reasons in this country. I guess so. um... Well, I wouldn't. When we first met Starr several years ago, she told us that she was drawn to Manson because of his environmental philosophy that he calls Atwa.
0: Atwa stands for air, trees, water and animals.
2: Did you know that 900 redwood trees get cut down every day? 900 redwood trees at 1,000 years of peace, that's 900,000 years of sunlight you're taking off this planet. But after seven years of living near Manson's prison, Starr's main focus now is to clear her future husband's name and get him out of prison. She says he is innocent.
1: And also you know where they are at all times and know that they're not seeing other women, although maybe there's other women writing to them and, and that will make you furious. Um... So I think that's part of the attraction. And then I think, um, I, and here we're constrained to the unacceptable territories. I think that there is also something potentially attractive about violent male criminals, which is, if, okay, this is really unacceptable. And there's a lot of men who are kind of a bit bored and bored of women. They can satisfy themselves with porn, whatever. You can have women. You don't need women. You can have a machine to do it as well as women, who fucking cares. But someone who would actually go out and do stalk women, rape women, kill women, that person's clearly got some, some o- awake, alert desire, if you see what I mean. So that person becomes, that because that person is actually interested in women, and I think for some w- women, they enjoy that somebody might be very interested in them. That's almost more appealing to them than the size of that person's biceps. So I don't know how accept- unacceptable what I just said is, but... Uh so it's a sort of, in my mind, there's like these wolves. Oh, the wolf is after me. I'm a delicious piece of meat to this wolf. But the wolf is now very safely ensconced in a prison where I know that they're not actually doing anything with any other bits of meat. And perhaps they're probably being reeducated. So this is a wolf, somewhat, a man who has very strong desires. And maybe me and my egocentricity can think that I'm the one of all the others. He, he, if only he could have channeled his desire in the correct way, it would have been towards me. So in the end, I think it's a massively egocentric fantasy. I just wanted, I wanted to know just how unacceptable that was what I just said to you. I don't know. I, I didn't find I it think... bad at all. It's perfectly aligned with my own thinking. Go ahead. I mean, look. But
0: then it must be good. As far as offending people goes, like, women who date serial killers are probably fair game. So <laughs> 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 you probably don't have to be like, you know. There's a constituency of uh, women who love rapists that are going to be real mad about this. Like, I think we're, we're probably <laughs> that they're not going to come for us.
2: Okay, fine. Few, Phew. Phew. Thank you. Well, Thank can, you. I, can I now be the offensive one then? Um, oh,
0: God. Let's just take I'm turns. Gonna... Just get my channel <laughs> thrown off the air. Go for it, Doug. Yeah.
2: Well, psychologist Leon Seltzer, this is from Wikipedia, has offered explanations for the phenomenon of male serial killers attracting female sex partners based on evolutionary psychology everyone's favorite
1: yeah sure, that's your favorite
2: it, it, no i'm not i don't i uh, no. i'm a marxist i'm not allowed to believe in a very right. Doug. It's G- right. I you, only you know. just
1: report him to the marxist police he's always bringing it up <laughs> i think he might not be a true marxist that's my fear <laughs> wouldn't you want me to be associating with him too much in that case sorry you were saying i i only like
2: it in late at night you know Whisper the word evolutionary psychology Before I no. go to sleep at night I don't really believe it <laughs> It
1: really uh, in a corner How do you bring you evolutionary psychology Where yeah. is? Uh
2: So, so anyway Anyhow, anyhow, evolutionary psychology Says that serial killers Are alpha males That tend to attract women This is because such males could protect women And their offspring according to evolutionary history uh, Silser says women may today may consciously realize that it's unwise to date a serial killer, but they're nevertheless attracted to them. Stated, as a therapist, I've encountered many women who bemoaned their vulnerability toward dominant men who consciously, they recognized, were all wrong.
0: So I think this is kind of straying into the territory of, like, there are women who consciously know that uh, the, the man that they're with have done has has done something really terrible, but, you know, he's locked up and now he's safe and he's being reformed. But then... As I said, you're you straying into the territory where you could be saying that women who are abused somehow want it, and is that not what this person is essentially saying?
2: Well, I think that the woman who married Charles Manson uh, probably was she was he either like brain damaged or she kind of knew that he was not a safe
1: bet. He's you know? eighty though. He's eighty and in prison. Yeah. He's a pretty safe guy now. Yeah, you know, okay. he, he's just—he's like a kind of Hugh Hefner when he was eighty. You know, he's just a thing. And and perhaps you know, some of this is just about. Oh yeah, I hear that some women like serial killers. Okay, maybe I'm one of those women who like serial killers. It's just a story that again gets regurgitated and becomes almost therefore permitted because of it. But I really think that Charles Manson at eighty. <laughs> Breaking news, Charles Manson, the infamous cult leader who led a string of murders in the 1960s, is dead. ABC's Lindsey Davis is here with the latest details. Good morning, Lindsay.
2: Good morning to Robin. He was sentenced to death 46 years ago. But just months after that sentence, California Supreme Court declared the death penalty unconstitutional, prolonging the life of one of the most reviled
1: men in American pop culture. And overnight at 83 years old, Charles Manson died of natural causes.
2: Okay, let me take another stab at at uh, uh, answering that question, and, and, and let, let me take another stab. I say when I'm talking about serial killers. Um,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least behind the, the media. Who could it have been? Ashley? we need a detective. Oh, the detective. I'm just waiting. Just
0: gonna... I can see the comments underneath. Like these are people's lives here. People are dying, and you guys are laughing about knives and yeah. No, we no, were t-
2: go- talking about.
1: Uh, I was talking about Doug's stab. I'm really sorry. Go ahead. Stab <laughs> yeah, away. Uh,
2: all right. All right. So in a different context, when it comes to relationships, like in with normal relationships, where ne- neither partner is a criminal. Right. But we're all criminals. Say, I'm not a criminal. I have not. I have not committed any acts of you know, any illegal acts. I'm not. I've not broken any laws. I'm not Russell Brand. I'm not a criminal.
1: You've never um, done any bad thing to anybody.
2: That's not the same thing. I'm a sinner, but I'm not a, a criminal. There's a distinction. But in the realm of the sinners, okay, let's, rather than the criminals, people who, who, who do true acts of violence. But um, let's say I'm, I uh, have a relationship and it ends badly, and I start to say, ah, that my ex, the nurse, was really secretly a serial killer and she treated me wrong she treated me wrong mm-hmm. and someone says to me well what was it about her that you found so appealing then if she was so awful i and i might reflect on it and go well perhaps in some ways the things that might have been red flags were also what compelled me to be with her like that you know that that
1: but so that's, that's but that's always the way until you do the full inventory of yourself you know that is that is how it, that is what people's experience in general just to make massive generalizations of relationships is the red flag the bad thing is what attracts you because it is reinforcing something that happened to you perhaps in your childhood perhaps earlier and it becomes almost the fetish object when you see that because each time what you're hoping to do is to overcome that bad thing as women writing to charles manson in prison are hoping to do the the, design, the nope. kind of when you enter a relationship and the desire is to reform the person or this time to get it right, from the get-go, you know that's a sick, bad relationship, don't you think? Right. Well, I
2: mean, The, the we should note that we're breaking now from the evolutionary psychology explanation of things, and we're talking about maybe a little more psychoanalytically, like people are repeating their traumas, they're trying to work through uh, di- internal difficulties out in the world, they're seeking out the things that meet their expectations based on, you know, uh, childhood or adolescence uh, or even previous relationships as an adult um, because they haven't fully been become self-conscious of, of their own motivations, they now were moving on to a different kind of explanation. Well, I'm we so, so be...
1: pleased to be in the company of, of proper Marxists, noting, yeah. And yeah. analyzing and doing everything properly and not not just people gliding around from city <laughs> topic to city topic. Okay. No, it's not silly topics. I said, the, that's not what I This is said.
2: exactly the kind of thing my bad. ex did. And... <laughs> <laughs> not true at all.
0: I wondered, so I know that we're talking about sort of why women might be attracted to this sort of, this whole world of darkness and crime and murder and so on, either in a fictional form or... Um, in, in, in a real, a very real guise, albeit very safe. But I wondered, sort of shifting over to the male point of view, why do so many men not seem to have a problem with the horror genre? So my, my husband thinks I'm crazy because I can watch true crime and it can be really horrible and real and I don't have a problem. And I explained it's because it's all very clinical and I can be part of the solution uh, and it's all very rational and so on. So then I wonder, well, how do you watch this uncontained, horrifying world of great detail? I am scarred I, internally from listening to Saw being played in the next room like 15 years ago or more. I could not watch the movie. I was in the next room and I could hear it. And then they watched this for pleasure.
1: I know. And also video so, games are very violent yes. and horrific also, I find. So, Doug, answer for all men, please.
2: Okay. Well, I'm not a, a connoisseur of the horror movie slasher movie, but my kids love them. My oldest son likes to watch them. And they had me sit down and watch Friday the 13th, the first Friday the 13th, with I believe that's the name. It was uh, uh, Kevin Bacon, is in it, and he gets murdered. I watched. It was a slasher movie. You know, you knew what was going to happen uh, because whenever a a, pair, a a couple would pair off and go off to fool around, you knew they would both they were both going to get it, right? <clears throat> and what was enjoyable about it was watching the murder, watching the the knife go through Kevin Bacon's chest, or really? uh, watching someone get decapitated. Believe um you,
1: God. Oh, you actually that was the enjoyable thing to see
2: yes and it got always got laughed okay i think it's important to re, but you know it was relatively realistically done but um the uh the what i found terrible about the movie like it truly made me feel anxious was not so much seeing the murder but the build-up where you knew that the the character was done for and you just now you're just waiting to see how they were going to be done in like you knew okay she's going into the locker room alone and we know she's going to be murdered How's going to happen and then the appeal of it was to up the ante each time so something even more extreme and grotesque and horrible would happen um and maybe elaborate, like this one. This time, the telephone was stuffed into her mouth all the way till it went out the back of her neck, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a pen was jabbed into her
1: ear. And then, you, you see, know, so blood sur- Because I wonder is any of this a metaphor for sex?
2: Oh, obviously, it was so much about sex. It was all about sex and punishing people for their sexuality. That was what these movies are all about. Um- <laughs>
0: Visit patreon.com slash Ashley A. for part two.